It really is good to gather in the name of our Lord. And each Sunday when we gather, we do it with joy in our hearts. We can be discouraged in areas of our lives. We can have struggles and difficulties, but we gather with joy in our heart because we know that the Lord has done something so wonderful for us that we are His. He loves us. He's faithful to us. He has forgiven us. And our names are written in the book of life. And we rejoice in that salvation that has come from the Lord. Especially this time of the year, aren't the children just overjoyed about Christmas? And yes, at young ages, you're excited about Santa Claus. You're excited about those presents. Our grandsons FaceTimed us yesterday because they were seeing the real Santa Claus at an apple orchard in Kalamazoo. And they just couldn't believe it was the real Santa Claus. And just, I mean, to have that kind of sparkle and life in their eyes was just incredible to see. And I hope that we as believers in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord and Savior of all mankind, the light that shined in the darkness, I hope we, as His followers, have that same joy in our spirits, our hearts, our minds, and that sparkle in our eye. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you're His brother, His servant, if you are a child of the Most High God, you are so blessed and special. You can't read the Scriptures without finding joy in the Christmas narrative. We find out in the Gospels that Elizabeth, her, her husband John, or Zachariah, is told that she is going to have a child. She's been barren. And she becomes pregnant, goes into seclusion five months. Oh, don't you know, whenever she says, the Lord has removed my disgrace, having that child, John the Baptist, in her womb, don't you know that she was feeling joy? I've met women that were told by doctors they'll never get pregnant, they'll never have their own child, only to have their own child. And there is joy in that occasion. Mary, her cousin, learns of her pregnancy and goes to see her. And as she's coming in the door, giving her greeting, the child, the child in the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy, the text says. Joy. Joy in the life of Elizabeth. Joy in the life of Mary, who's excited for Elizabeth. And joy in the child, John the Baptist shepherds on a hillside hearing the message from first an angel and then a host of angels we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people that today in the town of david bethlehem a savior is born joy 
So the shepherds go see the child and they leave rejoicing, joy. The magi bring their gifts out of reverence and joy in seeing the child. Oh, we as Christians have so many reasons to be joyous. In this five-part sermon series, we've been looking at Christmas songs, the songs of Christmas, that date back some to the 12th century as we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And last week, Hark the Herald Angels, which almost 266 years ago was birthed in the heart of a man who loved the Lord and walked with the Lord and, and wrote this hymn, Charles Wesley. And this week, we look at another song that is wonderful, rich in history, and is 300 years old nearly, and is still being sang today, and is one of the most popular Christmas hymns, especially for the church of all time, and that song is Joy to the World. And we're going to look at just some interesting facts about that song, and then we will get on with the text that applies to it. It was written by Isaac Watts, who lived from 1674 to 1748, way back in the 17th century. He published Joy to the World in 1719. He wrote it a little bit earlier than that, but that's the first recorded version of the song that went into the Methodist hymnal in 1719, 300 years ago. We're going to be singing it today after the message. He was an English poet. He was a clergyman. He loved the Lord. And what always stands out to me when I look at these songs and try to gather some of the highlighted information was, here is another man over 300 years ago that loved the Lord and loved the Scriptures so much that when he saw a particular verse in Scripture, it inspired him to write this song that we sing, love, and cherish today. 300 years, it's incredible. He wrote some 6,000 hymns himself. Now, the song that we sing to get today, and some of the lyrics through the 300 years change to what we have today. Part of the music composition was a guy named George Frederick Handel, now, there are some music teachers that they will know this individual probably a lot better than I do, and even the one that followed him who composed the music arrangement that we sing today, Lowell Mason. But it's interesting how a song is birthed out of the heart of one man that's looking at Scripture, and then through the decades, even centuries, different people put their spin on that song, and it becomes a beloved song of the church. Uh, I think this is probably some of the most interesting things about this song. Uh, what, what he did, Isaac Watts, he paraphrased the entire Psalm 98 in two parts, and the song that we sing today comes out of the second part of the paraphrase, 
verses 4 through 9 of Psalm 98. That's the heart of the inspiration of the text. And it was entitled back then as the poem, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. And that is the second point. It's the most unlikely of all Christmas songs because it was not written necessarily as first priority out of the nativity story that we would see in Luke or Matthew, but it comes out of Psalm 98 and talks about Jesus' second coming. And so while the, the text is about the second coming, when you and I sing it, we think about the birth and His first coming. And yet there are allusions and references within the song to the gospel message as well. Today, whenever we're singing the third stanza, which I'll point out here in a little bit, it is sort of an anomaly in the overall four stanzas. It's the only stanza that does not have its inspiration out of Psalm 98. So many hymns, uh, will hymnals will drop verse or stanza three. So we're looking at a song that's nearly 300 years old and still brings joy today to sing it. Let's just look at the four stanzas and the wording, and then we'll get to the text. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And then the chorus and heaven and nature sing repeated three times. Stanza two, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rock, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And this verse comes out of the inspiration of Genesis 3.17, where Adam ate of the apple that Eve gave to him, or the fruit, literally. And this curse was put on Adam and his descendants. that They would surely die. And then stanza four. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. This is inspired out of John chapter 1, 17, where it talks about Moses. He brought the law because He was the lawgiver, but Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, He was full of grace and truth. And so as we look at Psalm 98, the true inspiration of this song, Joy to the World, I just remind you, it's really verses 4 through 9 that Isaac uh, Watts was inspired to write his song. And as you look at the verses 4 through 9, you can see he took some liberality with uh, the song, but it's very theologically sound. You know, one of the things that really surfaces as you look at many of these ancient theological songs, that they are grounded in who God is and what God has done. 
And knowing who God is and what God has done inspires hope and peace and joy. And while we have many wonderful contemporary modern worship songs, many of them seem to miss the mark because they are heavy with emotion of the individual towards God, which can be good. But they seem to miss out at times, unless you pick the right ones, that really talk about who God is and what God has done. And so, opening in verses 1 through 3, we see this word that's used again and again, salvation, salvation, salvation. Just read along with me. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. So God has worked His salvation. He has made His salvation known. And all have seen His salvation. That is the glory of Jesus Christ and what God accomplished through the prophetic word that He will send His Messiah, the newborn child, to be His messenger, to be the light that shines in the darkness, to offer promise, to offer truth, to offer changed life. And in fact, whenever Simeon comes into the temple area as he's moved by the Holy Spirit. He goes up to Joseph and Mary. He takes Jesus in his arms, if you remember in Luke chapter 2, and he begins to pronounce what God has done in the person of Christ and what God will do. He says, Oh, great God, as you have promised me, your lowly servant, I see now the consolation of Israel. I see the Redeemer. You promised before I died that I would see Him. And Lord, You have honored Your promise. I now see the Redeemer. And then He looks at Joseph and Mary and He says to them, this child will cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. Many of people's hearts will be revealed because many will reject Him and they will fall. And many will embrace Him and they will rise. And then He says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your soul. Joy and sorrow combined. The joy of the light shining and changing and bringing salvation to mankind. The sorrow is what God would have Christ go through at the cross out of love for us, even though He loved His beloved and unique Son. Mary, you will be there on that day that He's nailed to that old wooden cross and your spirit will be pierced. Salvation is of the grace of God and it's free to all who would receive Him. But it was not cheap. 
and for those that have been touched by the Holy Spirit to receive Christ, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing about the marvelous things He has done. One of the things that should convict all believers, whether you can sing or not, and I can't sing, but one of the things that should convict us when we come together as the church of the living God here in this facility, this building, we should sing our hearts out in praise to Him. And we should do it with deep joy in our hearts because of the salvation that He has brought us. A salvation that Paul tells us is by the grace of God. It's a free gift when we put our trust and faith in Him. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. So God says, you could never live up no matter how hard you tried, no matter how good you are or were, you could never live up to what is needed for salvation because you are imperfect. We are imperfect, but Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God without stain or blemish. And He gives Himself freely to us as He dies on the cross in obedience to His Father, love for His Father, love for you, spreads open His arms. They nail Him there and he breathes his last saying, it is done. And now the atonement for sin is for those who would receive the Son. We should sing louder and more joyful with more spirit than any other song or people that have not Christ. How will you sing joy to the world today? I hope we sing it like we've never sang it before. Joy to the world. The Lord is come, has come. Our Savior has come. And that's why we are at peace and full of hope. And that's why we can smile. No matter what may come, we smile because we are a people of joy. God has made His salvation known. And we've experienced it. There's the words of Simeon. Joy in his heart seeing the consolation of Israel. And he praised God. So we come to the song. Joy to the world. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord the King. There's where these words, joy to the world, would come from. That's the inspiration that Isaac Watts had. But just, just look at it. It's the idea that there is absolute happiness in the heart of God's people. Are you joyous this morning? Are you joyous 
because of your relationship with the Lord? Are you joyous? Are you shouting with joy? Are you singing with joy? Do people know you as a joyous individual that loves the Lord? Lord, I hope the Lord speaks to all of us if we, if we don't have this kind of joy during this season. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So here is this man, some 300 years ago, reading through this psalm, and God moves in him to write this beautiful song that says basically to us the reasons for the joy that we have. But the fact is, he ends in Psalm 98, talking about the judgment. The coming judgment. You know, the Scriptures, they're full of God's judgment. The Scriptures tell us that we live in the season of God's grace. Today is the day of salvation, writes Paul in the Corinthian letters. So don't miss out on His salvation. Look into your heart. Are you right before the Lord? Have you been obedient to the good news that was proclaimed by the angels? Someone says, what is the good news that I'm to be obedient to? That good news is the simple gospel message. We are to be people that when the Spirit moves in our lives, we're willing to humble ourselves and receive Christ. Lord, You've touched me through Your Word, through a circumstance, through a song. I feel Your presence in a powerful way, and I want to surrender my life to You, Lord. And so, Lord, I look at my life as I begin to lay it beside Your Word, and I see that my life in no way comes close to living up or matching what You want me to be. I see things now that I once called mistakes or just the way the world worked as sinful. We don't talk about sin much anymore, but there is sin. Sin is to break God's commands. And sin that is not dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ leads to judgment and damnation. And while it's a beautiful message for the coming of the kingdom, it challenges us to not neglect making sure that our lives realize the king is coming back. Jesus came as the Lamb of God. The Scriptures tell us that He will come back like the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And His eyes will be fiery. And all men will stand before Him. And every knee will bow. And everyone will give an account of themselves. And the Scriptures tell us there is a 
judgment seat of Christ and there's a great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is the one you do not want to be at. Because it is one where people that did not know the Lord and did not receive Him and did not confess His name and did not repent, did not repent and turn away from their sin, they will be before the great white throne judgment. And they are doomed. You may have a husband or a wife, a sister or a brother, a mom or even a dad, grandparents, that have not received Christ. And you've not mentioned the name of Jesus to them. I couldn't imagine the people I love most not being in eternity with them. We need to take the risk to share our faith not only with the people we love, our family, our friends, but with those that God leads into our path. Because the great white throne judgment is coming. You and I, as we stand before Christ's judgment seat, will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the judgment that will be pronounced on the people of God because they are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The King, the Savior, the Messiah. We're washed. We'll give an account, but we're washed. We will be judged His children and faithful. He will judge the world in righteousness. His righteousness. And He will judge with fairness. God knows your heart. He knows if you're His. You know that He loves you. You know whether you've been obedient to Him. Receiving. Believing. Confessing repenting, being baptized, and making that decision to be faithful to death. We live in a time where people look at that part of baptism as unimportant. Take it or leave it. But that's just not true. It's not true biblically. On the day of Pentecost, People were called to be baptized after they heard the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and their part of being guilty and responsible for what had to happen. They cried out, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. The Apostle Paul, later on in chapter 6 of the book of Romans, talks about that baptism that believers surrender to when he says, you were buried with Christ. And since you were buried with Christ, you will be resurrected with Christ. Some people say baptism is no more of an outward sign than of an inward change. That's just not true. It's not biblical. 
Baptism is a sign of an inward change that's done and manifested outwardly. True, but it doesn't stop there. Colossians talks about the fact that when we were baptized, something literal takes place in your life that is spiritual. Figure that. And that is the circumcision of your heart by the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, baptism is rich. Baptism is value. Well, baptism is critically important, just like confession, just like repentance, just like receiving and believing in the Lord. And so is being faithful to the Lord until the day you die. Faithful to the Lord until the day you die. Now that doesn't mean it's works. It just means that you are aligning yourself in humility to keep in step with the Holy Spirit so that throughout your life you grow in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Each day of your life, because you are striving to keep in step with the Spirit and be obedient to what God has called you to do out of your love for what He has done for you. You're changing. He's changing you. So, this verse in Psalm 98 that says, Joy to the Lord. And shout for joy to the Lord. We shout it because salvation has come and we have it. We shout it because salvation is still being freely offered to those who don't have it. And we want them to have it so we make His glories known in our lives. And on the day when the trumpet blasts, And according to Paul in the Thessalonian letters, the angels and Jesus Christ return to gather His church. You and I can see that second coming as so glorious. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to wonder, am I going to be all right? Have I done enough? If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are His. You are safe in the palm of His hand. Your salvation is secure. And that's why we sing joy to the world. Would you stand with me now? And I just want to lead us in a prayer before we get ready to sing this song. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, the way that you've worked in people's lives, like an Isaac Watts, a Charles Wesley, or so many other people, Lord, that loved your scriptures and wrote songs to be sung and cherished by believers, we thank you for those songs that touch our hearts even yet today. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for all that he means to us. Lord, I think about the disciples 
whenever many are denying Jesus and their hearts are being exposed, he looks to the disciples and says, do you want to leave me too? And they say, where else will we go, Lord? You have the words of life. Let each and every person here feel the same way. Where can we go, Lord? You have the words of life. Father, if there's anyone here that's not absolutely confident and secure in their salvation, we pray that you would just prick their hearts and they would reach out to one of us, myself, one of the elders, a friend that loves the Lord, that they would just reach out. Be with us now, Lord, as we sing this timeless song. Let us sing it with all of our heart. We ask your blessing on our love for you and our praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm so glad we've been able to unpack these Christmas hymns uh, throughout this sermon series because so often we hear these carols or we hear them on the radio done a million different ways and they just be, kind of become routine for us. Uh, but to be able to see really what this truth is anchored in is, is special for us this Christmas season. Uh, so as Patrick said, let's sing this song like we've never sang it before. Amen. Raise our voices, clap our hands, stomp our feet. You'll get the idea in a second.